This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Meg Gardner, and you're listening to Writer Types. Hey, I'm Lou Burney. This is Sarah Paretsky. This is Matthew Quirk. This is Laura McHugh. This is Attica Locke. Well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> that's a great question. That's interesting. I'm glad you picked up on that. This is Lee Child, and you're listening to Writer Types. Welcome to Writer Types. I am your host, Eric Beatner, and joining me today as my guest co-host is Cheryl Head. Thanks for being with me, Cheryl. My pleasure, Eric. Good to talk to you. Now, according to your own description, you write about, uh, quote, the funny, interesting, unbearable, loving, dangerous, quirky, despicable people who reside on the planet, uh, which I think that's so great. <laughs> now, do you think, does everyone have a story to tell, or are you always on the lookout for just the right ones to tell a story about? Oh, that's a good question. I think almost everybody has a story to tell. It may be that the story is a, more a haiku than a novel, however. <laughs> <laughs> but, and especially now with coronavirus, where I get to look at people in a different kind of settings and under a certain amount of stress, and I'm observing people doing things a little differently. So I think there are lots of stories to tell. Yeah, definitely. Well, your uh, Charlene Charlie Mac series is going strong, uh, and you have book five is out this month. Has it been surprising to you that she has survived this long? <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> especially <laughs> especially when my publisher says, "So, what's the next one about?" And I have not a clue. So, uh, <laughs> but it's fun. I think uh, you know, as I look at her and her cast of characters that surround her. It really helps that she has this crew that works with her. So there's always something going on with them that I can use to weave together both, uh, both a mystery and a, and a case and some interesting kind of personal uh, problem or some kind of personal growth in the character. So it's, it's fun doing that. Yeah, I mean, you really, you put a big emphasis, like you say, on, on sort of the expanded cast of characters. And it really, that, that's, if you want to have a long running series, I think that's one thing that's really important is you have to populate it beyond just your main character, right? I think so. I mean, and, and when you look at the really successful crime series, they always have the protagonist who is the charming character that you come back to the, the novel to read about. But it's also that secondary group of people who bring the charm and the, the funny questions and the idiosyncrasies and help the, the main character to be seen in a different way. So I, I use my secondary characters as a way to help Charlie grapple with some of the emotional things. She's kind of an unemotional person. And so I surround her with people that have much more passion and stronger emotions about things. And I think they make a good uh, balance to her. Yeah, definitely. Well, now this series is set in Detroit, where you are from, but you live yes. in D.C. now. So right. why go back to Detroit for the books? Because I love Detroit and not D.C. <laughs> <laughs> That's the long and short of it. <laughs> no, are, are you trying to unseat Elmore Leonard as the literary hero of Detroit? <laughs> that would be hard to do. <laughs> I read his books a lot and, and say to myself, why can't I write lean like that? You know? Uh, <laughs> 
But I, I'm writing a standalone uh, outside of the Charlie series, and I set it in D- D.C., and I just got stuck until I realized that I don't have the affection for D.C. that I have for Detroit. And so uh, in the standalone that I'm writing, D.C. is an antagonist and not a protagonist. Oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. How uh-huh. it, it, You can make it work to your advantage. It finally, I was able to reframe it once I had that that epiphany. Wow. Yeah. Well, now you do one of the most difficult things that never gets talked about in publishing, which is having themed titles. You've got Bury Me When I'm Dead, Wake Me When It's Over, Catch Me When I'm Falling, Judge Me When I'm Wrong, and now Find Me When I'm Lost. Right. So two things on this. One, do you regret that choice now five books in? (laughs) (laughs) And is it harder to come up with a title than it is to come up with a plot? (laughs) Such a great question and so prescient. Yes. (laughs) I just uh, titled and wrote the synopsis for book six, and it took three days to figure out the dang title. Although <laughs> I have I have a formula now, and I have a list of titles that fit the formula, and I walk around and I talk to my publisher, and you know it does make sense in terms of marketing, and it shows up well in the book covers. But it's getting harder now. But I've got I've got the next one coming out. Warn me when I'm, and I can't even remember the next two words. So. That, <laughs> But it's warned me. Okay. (laughs) That's the tease. (laughs) Well, now, you're very good uh, on the microphone, and uh, you make an excellent co-host, but this is uh, not the first time you've been behind a microphone, is it? You're you're a ringer. Well, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I uh, had a job as a young person working in public radio in Detroit, and then I worked in public television for a while and then went back to public radio. And so, yeah, pretty comfortable behind a mic. In Detroit, I did an hourly daily show called Community Connections, and I interviewed all kinds of great people and including some crime writers. Wow. So uh, what am I doing here? You should be hosting this show. (laughs) No, that was a long time ago, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now we missed each other in Chicago this year at the Murder and Mayhem uh, conference, which is where we met. And and I enjoy having a chance to run into you year after year. All that has been shut down. Uh, None of us are getting out. We're all trapped at home. How are you dealing with uh, being locked away in quarantine? Yeah, well, I tell you, it was fun at that that, uh, Murder and Mayhem conference. That's a really great conference. I really recommend it to people who want to go to a a mystery and or crime writing conference. Uh, But this coronavirus time is made for me. Uh, I get to to be home. I don't have to interact with people. If I go to the grocery store, it's not crowded. Uh, So it's, you know, for an introvert writer of crime and mystery, it's a pretty darn good time. Uh, I do find that uh, you know, I see interactions with people differently. You know, I walk the dog and I notice that extroverts are having a really difficult time right, <laughs> right now. <laughs> so they want to run up to you and have conversations, you know, and stuff like uh-huh. that. I see, I see how families are interacting differently. I'm paying attention to nature a bit more and I'm using all of that to inform my writing. Well, that's good. So you, yeah. you're still able to be productive. I know some people are having a tough time. Well, the first few weeks I couldn't write or read, uh, you know, I basically took my temperature and thought I was going to die, you know, but after that, that, because I'm in the one of the cohort groups. So once I realized I was probably safe, uh, I was able to write, but it's, it's stressful. Um, But I I found that I can use the stress again. I'm good at reframing things. Yeah. So I'm, I'm using my anger around like Black Lives Matter. Uh, to, to write some things that I had put away in a drawer. I, I pulled them back out and 
I'm using Corona's kind of fear and stress to write some new things. So I'm, I'm making it work for me. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. There you go. There, there, there's your, your key to, to getting an idea out of you is put a little pressure on. Put some pressure on me. You know, that's the TV part of me. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, we get diamonds from coal, right? <laughs> that's, exactly right. that's right. <laughs> well, I think it's time we welcome our first guest, shall we? That's a good idea. All right. Steve Hawkinsmith is one of my absolute favorite writers. His Homes on the Range series of Western mysteries are some of the most fun that you'll have reading a book. He's also written a ton of different stuff that all has his trademark humor, which is snarky and sarcastic, just the way I like it. Cheryl, do you try to balance a little bit of humor in your Charlie Mack books? I think it's so important to have humor in, in crime writing, and I have lots of humor. And my uh, my Don Rutkowski character is really my vehicle for humor. He's such a he's so irreverent and kind of a Neanderthal, but he's a great straight man. So it's, he really helps to 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 put that humor in the book. I think when you're writing about killing people, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Maybe even before we get started, Steve, you're you're definitely uh, you're a funny guy. So uh, maybe Cheryl and I should just turn this over to you and uh, go go ahead, be funny. Uh, that it's so perfect that you ended that with the be funny because when you begin it with the you're a funny guy, of course that's the implication, which is why anytime anyone ever says that, I cringe so hard. I, I remember this one time, my first agent, I I was. Uh, visiting with her in New York and it was the first time I'd been up to her office and she was you know quite a powerful figure at least to a to a little nobody like me and I was very intimidated to be there and uh while we're having our conversation another one of her uh clients pops by and she says like you know Steve oh you gotta meet this guy Steve is the funniest person I've ever met and then she just turns to me yeah it was it was the worst Oh, I felt like such a rube. So all that just to say, thanks, Eric. Thanks. <laughs> That's my job as host. <laughs> <laughs> to make us feel like rubes. Well, yes. yeah. Well done. There you <laughs> go. All right. Well, uh, Steve, you're, you are a hard one to pin down in the writing world. Uh, you've written a series of mysteries set in the Old West. You've got middle grade books for kids. You have zombie novels, a cozy series. What kind of writer do you consider yourself? Wow, that's a great question. And it's funny that that I find myself at a little bit of a loss because, of course, it's something I think about all the time. I'm, you know, we writers, we we think about ourselves all the time, Um, (laughs) particularly, you know, our writing and where our writing fits into anything. And yet just the whole question of like, well, what kind of writer are you, Steve? I have never thought of it quite like that. It's always sort of like, where are the opportunities or what are you good at? I guess, you know, one thing I've... uh, and again, this is just to go to show what a mistake it is ever to start a conversation with, you're a funny guy, because <laughs> when you get me started talking on this stuff, I get so very earnest, and I just feel like I become very boring very quickly. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But what what is one trying to do with this writing thing? And we all feel the impulse, we want to create something. But, you know, what's the point? Is it is it we just want to be published, or we want to put a smile on people's faces? We want to bring a rainbow into the world. What is it we're doing? And I guess for myself, it's sort of come back to being an entertainer, which doesn't mean like putting on a funny nose and going waka waka and and a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer in the pants. Uh But it it does mean keeping in mind the relief 
a good story can bring in a sad, sad world. Boy, I'm, I'm as unfunny as possible, aren't I? <laughs> no, but it's it's sincere, and and uh, and I think that's that's as much as any author can ask for is like you say to to entertain me because we're we're putting down words in order to hand to somebody else to say here, escape your world for a little while and come into ours. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I just got uh, an email the other day, which is one of those emails that that keeps you going for the rest of the week, and it was like. You know, I just stumbled onto your books through whatever, and I've been having a real rough time, and I've really enjoyed the books. It, it, it really uh, helped me this week. That makes me feel like Mother Teresa in my <laughs> own lame way. I have, I have a question for you. You you have a new short story in the latest Ellery Queen. Congrats. Oh, and, thank, you. Um, thank you very much. Uh, your Homes on the Range series started as a short story. So do you begin each of your short stories with the idea to become a novel? No, I'm I'm always very clear when I start writing something exactly what I'm trying to do at that time. Like I I've, I hear writers on, let's say, writer types talking about their, their, their writerly process. And I, I hear uh, people who talk about, you know, they start as a, something that's going to be a short story and then it turns into a novel. Or they start something that they think is going to be a novel, but then they realize it's a short story. And this is not to sound superior, but that doesn't happen to me. I never okay. had the prize. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's always like, you know, what am I going to do with myself right now? Oh, I'm going to write a novel, and it's going to be X kind of novel, and then I, I do that novel. Or I'm going to write a short story. Because, and this, you know, gets, I guess, into the question of sort of like, again, the writerly process. I'm a very, very meticulous outliner. Mm-hmm. Um and so that helps, you know, with the with the clarity of purpose here. Like I am going to write a short story. The the thing that always changes is that um, everything does always end up being longer than mm-hmm. I think it should be or, uh, or would be. But the difference in length is I think it's going to be four thousand words and it ends up being eight thousand words, as opposed to I think it's going to be three thousand words and it ends up being a hundred and ten. Yes, that is kind of a leap. (laughs) Do you you find the short story uh, structure more challenging than doing a novel? Yes and no. I mean, I I hear again people on writer types talking about how they they really wrestle with the the challenges of, of writing a short story. And I get that. But to me, I'm trying to find a nice way to say, like, I guess I'm lucky. I can do both. You're a genius. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So once we've accepted that premise, then then uh, it sort of explains everything else. This will sound dumb, and I to, we can add this to all the dumb things I've probably already said. Novels to me are actually much harder because they're longer. <laughs> so, like <laughs> you can boil it down to that. Like why are short stories easier? They're short. Why are novels harder? They're big. You've given some great advice here that uh, I think a lot of uh, authors need to know is uh, that short stories are easier because they're shorter. And just so we can put it out there in case any colleges are listening, are you available for (laughs) professorship? Anytime. I mean, I know know this is a glorious golden age for uh, higher education in the United States. So, um, you know, I I know all universities are are staffing up right now, building that faculty out uh, for for the fall. So, uh, yeah, I am available. Please, uh, you know, get that classroom, that virtual classroom prepped. I can zoom in anytime. It would be a very short class. (laughs) Short story short, novels long, class dismissed. Everybody gets a name. That's right. You took a long break between Holmes on the Range novels, uh, but you were back with yet another one uh, pretty recently. What was it like 
getting back in the saddle with Old Red and Big Red? It was both easy and not easy. I feel like my answers are always going to be so ridiculously simple <laughs> and yet so stupidly wordy. Yes, it was both easy and hard. And it was it was easy in that I, I loved those characters and still felt very connected to those characters and really understood how to use those characters. And it was hard in that writing books is hard. So we've come back to another one of my brilliant insights into writing. <laughs> uh, writing books is really hard. And writing those books is hard in, in their own way in that there's a very particular sort of voice. And because they're historical novels, um, there's a lot of research. Mm -hmm. And even though I am um, a gabby old man, I wasn't born in the 19th century. So I find that I have to stop a lot and just sort of figure out when they walk into a room, what's in there? Or, you know, it's if somebody has to go to the bathroom, what's that process like in 1894? <laughs> it's a lot more complicated than it is today, or at least it, it seems, you know, from our perspective. So I just get hung up a lot. And also, you know, to get to the, the writerly process again, I uh, am both a meticulous slash anal outliner and a very slow, meticulous writer in that I, I, I kind of get everything in on the first pass. I don't do a ton of revision because I write so painstakingly slowly. And so I just get hung up a lot and have to really fight with, with uh, sentences sometimes to make sure they feel right before I move on. I want to ask you about a, a blog you wrote recently about your dad, um, who, who you lost last year. Um, sorry for that, and it's his Father's Day. Um, but also he was a big fan of Westerns. And that's sort of how you came to your, your love of Westerns. And I'm a big fan of Westerns too. So how does that kind of inform your outlook as a, as a mystery writer? Yeah, you know, he was also a very big Sherlock Holmes fan. And so if you look at what kind of launched me into the novel writing world, which was uh, Holmes on the Range, you know, a novel that, that combined Westerns and Sherlock Holmes, mm -hmm. it goes right back to my dad. Not, not every aspect of who I am as a writer for sure, Mm -hmm. uh, which is just to say, my dad wouldn't like everything I write. Uh, <laughs> not a, he wasn't a zombie guy, for sure. <laughs> it's been about 20 years now since you first published uh, your first shorts. So if in that 20 years that you've been publishing fiction, is the body of work that you've created anything like what you expected back then? Wow, what a question. Hmm, wow. Oh my, you see... This is this is a, a real soul-searching moment. You just asked me to assess my body of work. That's, yes. that's rough, man. Oh, you need to prepare me for that one. Uh, oh, gosh. And then to, to face the question of like, dude, did it live up to what you hoped? And I'm like, oh, um, oh, gosh, well. Well, here, I'll, I'll reframe it for you. Are you as much or more of a failure as you thought you would be? <laughs> that's, that seems like that's, that's more in your wheelhouse, Steve. Yeah, no, it is. So, yeah, I'd say like um, – I am, well, but you know, it, it's funny because it, it, it again becomes a, a both a very simple answer and one that uh, that feels hard to say in one sentence. Boy, this is, hmm, okay. Try and focus, Steve. We got other guests. <laughs> okay, right. Um, well, because I am naturally at heart a, a deeply pessimistic person, <laughs> a part of me always expected failure, but... You can't go into writing expecting to be a failure, although one probably should. <laughs> you know, to, to do the work and to put yourself out there in that way, of course, you have to be optimistic. You have to be doing it 
because you think it's going to reach people and you have to have dreams, right? Yeah. And so in the beginning, I think I had uh, very high hopes of making a mark in a way that I'm not so sure I did, but I can look back at the stuff I've done and feel that I've almost always uh, stayed true to my own unique vision of who is Steve Hawkinsmith as a writer. I've uh, almost everything I've done, only I could have done it, which isn't to say it's so s- superb and only a Steve Hawkinsmith could uh, achieve these levels of genius, but just that they're so weird and goofy in that Steve Hawkinsmith way. Only, only Hawkinsmith would write that. In that way, I guess I'm, I'm pretty happy. Oh, good. That's excellent. So I am so envious that you can write across genres. I cannot do that. Um, so is there anything you are afraid to tackle in your writing? I don't write about sex very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, almost never. Probably wise. Yeah. It's, because... a, it's a real stumbling block for a lot of people. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's hard to do well. You know, there's all sorts of reasons to make fun of me. I don't have to really uh, make it easy for people. <laughs> well, you know, I get I get very nervous around certain uh, subjects. You know, like this is something uh, Eric knows all about because of uh, Eric's anthologies he's done about gun violence mm-hmm. uh, and some of the conversations he's had about that. I I do really find myself wrestling with the uh, the Western stuff that I that I have wanted to do. I've kind of wanted to go off into that genre a bit more. Yeah. But I'm really finding myself feeling very ambivalent about some of its messages, or at least yeah. the messages that are baked into a certain mainstream aspects of the genre. I'm just getting more and more boring, aren't I? No, um, no, I totally understand. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, I'm sort of wrestling with if I even want to write a certain kind of Western or action-y kind of book anymore. Is, is, that, is that okay for entertainment? Is it, is it okay mm-hmm. to have fun with that? And I, and I the answer to me used to be sure yeah it's just fun and now I'm not so sure. Yeah, I mean there's such guilty pleasure in enjoying westerns because it's filled with sexism and racism and you're killing Indians left and right and I love the genre so uh-huh. as a black woman I keep that on the down low. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. That that gets into a whole other thing that that makes yeah. me nervous about it is is the whole cultural aspect of it you know I've, I've thought about writing a Holmes on the, on the range novel that would let's say take place uh you know near an Indian reservation but um and because there, there are so many very interesting historical issues that, that could easily become crime fiction plots yes and yet the level of of research that you'd have to do I think to to do justice to the culture and make sure that you're being respectful yes is really daunting and but also at the same time i don't want it to be like well i'm a right a white guy i should write white guys you know yes um yeah you know it, it's just part of our job to get into other people's heads um and and, and which is where of course uh, a lot of the western genre has failed uh, spectacularly yeah. uh but the thing about doing that is that it's hard so i have now put out these great writing lessons that uh, short yeah. stories are short Novels are long, and thinking like other people is hard. So yes. uh, you're you're, you're a great professor, Steve. Yeah, we <laughs> love your class. <laughs> Where's my apple for the teacher? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, you nailed the perfect uh, condensed writing degree. We, we all basically have MFAs now. After speaking with you, Steve. Wow! After a ten-minute conversation with me. 
yeah, uh, you're, you're, you're ready for an MFA. Mission accomplished. <laughs> So Steve Hawkinsmith right there, taking us to school there, Cheryl, giving us some solid advice. He's funny and profound. Yes. (laughs) Things are hard and short is better. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing that we still need to be reminded of such basic concepts. (laughs) It's Confucius, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our next guest is Sarah Sliger, debut author of Take Me Apart which is a suspense novel about a former journalist who digs into a famed photographer who died years ago. And she ends up finding out a lot about herself as her curiosity spirals into obsession. The book has made a lot of most anticipated lists and is already on some best of lists of 2020. Cheryl, building suspense is, to me, it's kind of the hardest part of writing, isn't it? I mean, you can write thrills that last a page or action that goes quick, but sustained suspense is kind of a high wire act. That's right. That's when you're really doing the craft of of the work and the people who can can do that. I so admire. I think that uh, Sarah does a really fine job of it. And for a debut novel, it's such an ambitious undertaking, I'll say, without giving it away. Sarah Sliger, thanks for uh, joining us. And you're here with Take Me Apart, your debut novel. So congratulations on that. Uh, and I, I mean, is it as thrilling as you expected to have a debut uh, in the spring of 2020? Is it all just <laughs> champagne and limousines? Yes, exactly. that has been my spring 2020. Absolutely. <laughs> it, yeah, you know, it's been weird uh, releasing a book at this time. It is my first book, so you know I don't have a lot of other stuff to compare it to. So um, you know, I guess that's like a that's a positive. But there were a lot of you know like plans for book tours and book festivals and things like that that did right. have to um, get canceled. You know, I haven't even seen my book in a bookstore yet. Actually, oh. I um, and not getting to meet readers face to face. Well, just just think about how different the next one's going to be. It's going to be like having a debut all over again. Yes, that's my yes. I I I hope so. Actually, you know, there's been a lot of like really nice things about having the sort of um, Zoom and virtual event kind of thing get going is that I've been able to talk to a lot of other authors and um, and podcast hosts and people who I might not have otherwise been able to speak so easily with. So there are pluses and minuses. That's me trying to find the silver lining. You're doing a, <laughs> you're doing a good job. You know, and I wanted to congratulate you on the quality of the book, but also the execution of your marketing, Sarah. You and your publicist and your marketing team did a fabulous job in the launch of the book. Just just wonderful. Um, how much pressure then do you feel from the success of the debut for whatever your next piece of work is? Um, yeah, I have to give so much credit to my publisher, MCD, which is um, a division of Far Stars and Giroux. And I just love the team there. They've been, they're so creative, um, really. I think even before, you know, the pandemic hit and shelter in place hit, have been really keyed into sort of virtual and digital marketing. And, um, they put a lot of time and care into this book. I think I feel positive pressure in that, you know, like some people have been like, oh, I'm so excited to like read your next book. That's a good motivator. Yeah, I haven't had like the negative, um, that negative uh, feeling of like, too much oh my pressure. god <laughs> yeah but i feel like maybe you know maybe closer to the release date or something of the second book i might start to feel that more well you, you're a real glass half full kind of person uh, sarah this is a rare <laughs> thing to find in the writing world 
Um, I try. I mean, yes, you know, I think today is a glass house full kind of day. Maybe not all, maybe not every day. Okay. Well, and, and, and it, it is just your debut. Give us a little, a couple years and we'll beat it out of you. Yeah, exactly. I have to, I still have time to become jaded. <laughs> right. Well, so in the book, uh, Kate has to reconstruct the life of famed photographer Miranda Brand, and it requires her to examine really every little detail in Miranda's life. She's a bit of a, a voyeur in, 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 you know, digging into this. So I think we're, we all as writers have to be a little bit of that voyeur, right? Is that something that you've always, uh, a quality you've always had? Yeah, I, um, I am just like so fascinated by other people's stories and watching and observing and eavesdropping. Um, moving to Los Angeles, where um, where I live, it's very hard to take public transit, and I do really miss like eavesdropping on subways and buses, <laughs> uh, which I used to do a lot. Um, but yeah, you know, Kate is um, she's going through this sort of huge collection of the photographer's artifacts. And I'm also an academic and have spent a lot of time in archives. And I wanted to kind of channel that. I think you're really right. It is a very voyeuristic impulse um, to find out everything you can about this other person's private life. And there, you become very invested in this person who you know, in most instances, if you're researching old documents, especially, um, so a lot of the documents I worked at are from like the 1920s. So a lot of people who produce those are no longer living. And so it's a very one way kind of relationship. And that was um, something that I was really interested in conjuring. Following up on Eric's question, there was um, a lot of um, weaving of revelations about each woman in the book and uh, d- digging into their inner lives. Um, how difficult as a, as a craft process was it to uh, kind of maintain the suspense while you were doing that? Really hard. I think, you know, I mean, I had a lot of ambition when I went into the project. I don't know if I realized um, how difficult it would be to kind of have these two women's stories um, unfold. And for anyone who hasn't read the book, it kind of promises that parts of it are told in the present day through Kate, the archivist's perspective, that alternates with documents from Miranda, the photographer's life. So you're sort of like seeing these documents as Kate sees them and uncovers them. There was just so much revision and like reordering that had to go in it because I was trying to figure out how to maintain the suspense of Miranda's narrative, the suspense of Kate's narrative, and then like the suspense arc of like their stories together. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're sort of balancing, you know, there are moments when like Kate knows something that Miranda doesn't, Miranda knows something Kate doesn't. They're in different time periods. The reader finds things out at different paces. So it it was really, it was very um, challenging to do, but I think we got there in the end. When you're trying to do that much interweaving, I mean, it, it can be easy to sort of lose the thread along the way too, right? Yeah, definitely. In some ways, like even, so I didn't, you know, plot it out very carefully before I started writing. And as a result, I had to do a lot of really intense revisions, like really rewriting it start to finish, you know, six times at least. Ooh, and I'll, it was, I'll... so it was really, yeah, it was, a, it was a challenging rewrite process. But then at the same time, I think that even if I hadn't, even if I had planned it out better, I, I would have had to do some of that rewriting and reordering because it's like only after kind of assembling it all 
are you able to sort of see like the, oh this theme got dropped here um and like sort of fell out of some of the documents or some of the narrative and then kind of like tie it back in you touched on uh, something right there that i i heard you talk in another interview about this that I, i've i just want to get this out there because you said something that i agree with so passionately about writing first drafts and there's sort of a pervasive idea out there among a lot of writers and i think people giving young writers advice that oh the first draft doesn't have to be good and i just it, it, it's supposed to be a bunch of junk and then you'll sort it out later i so vehemently disagree with this <laughs> uh, maybe because i'm not a rewrite i don't like the revision process but it sounds like it you, you sort of got into a little bit of a of a pickle with that you know do you think if you had taken a little taking that first draft maybe a little more, not seriously, it makes it sound like you did. Obviously you took it seriously, but do you think that there was a little bit of that process that could have made the revision portion easier if the first draft wasn't just sort of trying to blurt it out on the page? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think that I did learn a lot of like, you know, I mean, it was a very, it was very difficult the way I chose to do it. Um, and I mean, not chose. I didn't really consciously choose. I was following this advice, as you say, like, oh, you know, just like put out this like bad first draft and you can fix it in revision. It's actually very hard with, you know, a crime novel or anything really plot driven that rests a lot on, um, you know, information being revealed at different points and planting clues, because then, you know, it's really like any bit that you change in revision is going to impact yep. the rest of the book so much. And so yeah. I'm like, I don't know what the book would have turned out to be if I had written in a different way because I did what I did. But I will say that with the book that I am now working on, my second book, I felt very conscious of like, okay, I can't go through what I went through with Take Me Apart again because I just feel like I... it. It was just so, I, I mean, I actually like revision in a lot of ways, but I just felt like it was so unproductive. I think the problem with that advice, um, which, you know, does work for some people, but I do think the problem is that sometimes it encourages young writers to just put out any old thing. And right. it's hard when you have something that's like a, a complete manuscript in terms of like numbers of words or something, it's hard to look at that and then be like, oh, this is like, this is all bad. This is not what I wanted to do. <laughs> um, and I think like, you know, a lot of thought has to go into some of the preliminary stuff and kind of like, you know, setting yourself up for success as like a business uh, self-help book might say. <laughs> um, Definitely. I also teach creative writing and it's interesting. Like I do think there are some students who do need that because they can get so bogged down with the taking care over every sentence that it's hard for them to move forward. Yeah. But I also think there are other students who are, you know, like, Oh, like I'll write like 4,000 words in a day. And I'm like, well, it's very unlikely that if you write 4,000 <laughs> words in a day, like any of them will be very good. Like it's just <laughs> unlikely, I think. So, so it sounds like you're in California in the in the higher ed system, dashing people's hopes, Sarah. That's me. Yes, exactly. I'm sure if you talk to any of my students, I would just be. They're like, oh yeah, she's such a. Uh, what's the word? Um, dream killer. Dream killer. Yes, that's what that's what they say. Yes, that's what all my evaluations. Say. 
Seriously, I looked at your academic background and it's really fascinating. I, uh, in particular, love this, the descriptor that's in your, um, under your pull down, this is academic work, uh, that your research projects, uh, quote, study how justice and violence are differentiated across the axes of race, class, and gender. That, that was so fascinating to me. Wondered how that research informs your, your crime writing in general and, and, and your, um, your current book. Yeah, it's a good question. Sometimes I'm not even fully aware of all of the ways in which my academic work and my creative work intersect because they're definitely coming out of a lot of the same concerns with uh, with violence and equity and um, trauma and sort of like this experience, but they're definitely written from sort of different perspectives. Yeah, so I studied sort of the um, development of the legal procedural so kind of courtroom dramas and mm-hmm. looking at how that intersected with the criminal rights movement. And it has led me, I mean, I've read a lot of um, crime fiction in general, but then also for all of this research and had to do a lot of really, you know, deep structural kind of analysis of it. And it has helped me understand, I think, the driving forces, the structure of crime fiction in a kind of different way. Then somehow you did not end up writing sort of a modern day Perry Mason. I mean, you, but it, it seems like Kate is much more of, uh, of Sarah the academic than mm-hmm. a, a product of your academic research. Yeah, well, I mean, part of it is that, you know, I, my academic research kind of comes at it from a perspective of saying there are some really dangerous consequences that the sort of popularization of legal procedural have had for the way that we understand our criminal justice system. Um, and, you know, in the past few weeks, this kind of conversation has really sort of rocketed into so um, yes. a different, a different level of public attention. There's always been attention given to it, but um, it's now become, you know, much more focused on. And so I, th- I, felt like I was just so hyper aware of some of the ways that that plays out that I didn't want to write um, a crime novel that seemed like it was was valorizing a system that I feel to be, you know, very flawed. Well, Sarah, uh, you know, we're we're rooting for you on book number two. When when that comes out, we hope that people are not trapped in their homes and unable to get out. I hope you can see a book in a bookstore. Yeah. That is one of the fundamental things of having your first book out. So uh, I, I hope uh, the next one, you know, goes a little better. Yes. Well, actually, a bookstore near me did open recently. So I am I think I'm going to take a, a field trip this week. You should. Yeah. And, and lots yeah. of and lots of selfies, Sarah, holding your yes, book in the bookstore. <laughs> With a mask. Yes, With of mask. course. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, Sarah is another one of those uh, debut authors that I can't help be a little bit jealous we're of. We're jealous. Uh, we're jealous. <laughs> yeah. Those, those people who nail it right out of the gate. Darn yeah. them. Good for her. <laughs> I hope that sounded sincere. I do. No, I really, she's a wonderful woman and she's a smart woman too. Wow. Oh, yes. So there you have it, uh, Cheryl. That's another episode done. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and uh, congratulations on your newest novel, Find Me When I'm Lost. Thank you very much, Eric. Please keep writing and please keep doing this podcast. You're great at it. Oh, well, thank you so much. Well, hopefully we'll be back uh, in Chicago next year or, or there'll be some time when we can see each other in person. But That's right. You know, the one thing I found during all this is uh, even if you can't see people in person, when, when, you have, when you're friends with authors, 
if you have their books, they're still kind of with you in a way, right? Oh, isn't that sweet? I don't, yes, okay, if you yeah, say so. Look how, look how deep I am, sure. <laughs> you are so deep. You and Steve, I feel like a slacker. <laughs> Come on, hey, you, hey you, you brought up Confucius. Come on. <laughs> That's right, okay. I'll take credit for that. <laughs> 